welcome to BCP Talk. I'm your host, Nicole Knight. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Felstead, a doctor of veterinary medicine, consultant, CPA, a former Big Eight accountant who is widely recognized for her expertise in wellness plans. Dr. Felstead was involved in the Bayer Veterinary Usage Study, which early on demonstrated both the value and demand for wellness plans. The study generated tremendous interest in wellness plans, which has continued to this day. My wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Felstead covers the business aspects of wellness plans, innovative new thinking around chronic care plans, and program applications. We talk about wellness plan benefits, of course, namely providing better health care to pets, also while increasing revenue both in plan and out of plan, which may surprise some people, and driving client loyalty. We also discuss the challenges practices face sometimes when they set up wellness plans on their own. Dr. Felstead shared some insights about the advantages of enlisting a partner to help both implement and also run the wellness plans. Dr. Felstead, welcome to VCP Talk. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about, so I've been looking forward to this. We are too. Our guests may not know about your tremendous depth of experience, so for starters, could you tell us a little about yourself and your consulting business? Yes, happy to. So I'm a CPA as well as a veterinarian, and I practiced small animal and emergency medicine for a number of years after graduating from Texas A&M. Before that, I'd been in the accounting industry for about 10 years. And um, I worked for one of the big eight accounting firms. And that's obviously where I got a lot of my business experience, not just accounting experience, but how do you manage a business? And I think that's been really helpful then as I transitioned into to veterinary medicine. So most of the work that I do is financial in nature. And so wellness plans fit very well in there. But I'm a huge believer that the finances I mean, what they reflect is how you're doing operationally. So clearly, you know, part of our consulting work is to help people make that link that if you don't like what's going on in your practice financially, here's some of the things that you need to think about operationally. And I've worked with general practices, emergency practices, specialty practices. I've been involved in several of the major studies that have been um, that have been floated out in the, the veterinary profession, including the Bayer Veterinary Care Usage Study. Like I said, I'm just a firm believer that financial information should be very usable. So it's not just, okay, here's your numbers like you do with your tax return. I mean, you file your tax return because you have to, but it needs to be something that can help you manage your business better. 1,000%. That makes a ton of sense. Speaking of your expertise, you know, you're widely sought after for your perspective on wellness. That was one of the reasons why we were so thrilled that you were going to be able to come on the podcast. And you recently shared some of your insights in a piece in AHA Trends magazine. But first, let's start at the beginning. When did you become interested in wellness plans initially? Wellness plans have been around for a while. I mean, Banfield's mm-hmm. been doing wellness plans for a thousand years, right, so to speak. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't think that most practices really paid a whole lot of attention to them. In, until the first phase of the Bayer Veterinary Care Usage Study came out, and that would have been back in, say, 2011. And it was one of the services that when 
consumers, pet owners were asked, you know, what kinds of things would you like to see in veterinary practices? And particularly when you're talking about money, wellness plans were very, very appealing. And the concept to them was it would be a year's worth of services bundled together with one set price, and they could then divide the cost of that up over 12 months. So they would have this steady amount they would pay each month instead of just paying as you go, which can be very, very hard for people. And the concept of wellness plans was highly regarded by pet owners in that study. And it so it, it really brought a high level of interest in these kinds of plans in independently owned practices, not whereas before they had been something that Banfield had done, but really, I, I don't know if pretty much anybody had done them at the time. And then a lot of people got interested and you started to see um, some practices giving them a try. You started to see seminars on them. You started to see people releasing work that can be helpful and putting together your own wellness plan. So I'd say it really took off for most practices as an idea about 10 years ago. And it's advanced considerably since then. I mean, these days, I'm just thinking studies show wellness plans can help boost practice profits, attract new clients, ensure a steadier flow of year-round income. Can you talk about what you now know or what we as an industry now realize about the benefits of wellness plans? I think one of the most interesting things, and, and I remember a survey that was that came or showed these results, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, that when you ask practices why they decided to try implementing wellness plans or what the benefits were, the biggest thing that they talked about was just the ability to now provide better pet care to the pets in their practice. And so, yes, it definitely helps increase revenue, definitely can help increase profits, but it's that concept of better health care that's also extremely appealing to people who work in a practice. And of course, that makes a ton of sense because, I mean, that's why we're here, right, is to take care of pets. And, and I think everybody gets frustrated with the frequent frequency with which pets are not provided all of the services that we would like to like to see them be provided with. And, you know, that's not just services that are necessary when a pet gets sick or injured, but just basic preventive care stuff. I don't think anybody out there would dispute the fact that for many pet owners, cost is an issue. And, you know, we can argue about whether pet owners can truly afford it and choose not to, or whether cost is a real issue. But when you look at the household income in the United States, which is at about 60 or 70,000, I forget the most recent number, you know, it's, it's hard if you're a three-person household to stretch that budget sometimes to cover all of the the things that the pet needs. I mean, everything we do practically is, except maybe go to the grocery store, is essentially a subscription economy. I mean, our health insurance we pay monthly, you know, our gym memberships, our cell phones, even mortgages, you can call a subscription-based economy item, you know, auto loans, whatever. And so just taking the, the annual preventive care payments and breaking them up over a 12-month payment period makes an enormous difference. And most pet owners end up spending more and do more for their pets simply because it's spread out over 12 months. So I think, you know, when we talk about benefits to practices, one is just you just feel better about the care that you can provide. And then you get that financial benefit as well. Right. And then back to your initial point that 
veterinary practices want to provide great health care to pet patients. That's right. That's that's why they're here. That's why they're here. Mm -hmm. And yet, and yet, as you noted in that recent article, wellness plans offer substantial benefits. Veterinary practices Mm -hmm. still aren't offering wellness plans universally. Sometimes, you know, there's it's because of that. That old notion, frankly, that they're discount plans. In your mm-hmm. experience, why do you suppose more practices aren't embracing wellness plans? Yeah, and I think that's a really critical question. I will say, and I'm a huge fan of wellness plans, but in many practices, they are not completely easy to implement. They require a certain amount of planning, a certain amount of implementation tasks, a certain amount of training of your employees, a certain amount of education of clients, and practices sometimes just give up. And I think, particularly if you try and do it all yourself, and and I I think in my experience with practices trying to do this, I have, and I, you know, there are certainly some practices out there that have done it all themselves and done a good job with it, but I think I have moved away from that as a recommendation and really come to believe that getting help with any or all of the stages or the things you have to do to implement a wellness plan well, and not just to implement it, but to keep running it and offering it successfully, get that outside help. Yes, you're going to pay for it. I mean, you're going to pay for outside help on anything, but I think it's really worth it because I think the single biggest thing that's kept people back has been just the difficulty in the implementation The other piece that I think is important is I think that wellness plans work best in practices who don't just look at this as this is this month's marketing campaign, but they look at it as we truly believe that offering wellness plans makes it easier for clients to provide the care that they want to provide and that we would like to see them provide. And so it's it's not just like another marketing program, but it's an essential component of how we practice. And it makes it possible for our clients to to really take care of their pets better, which is good for everybody. How can you argue that one? Exactly. And as you offer these bundles of services, you can also, I can imagine, educate the pet owners about the specific things that the cat or dog will need over their lifetime and just start to kind of prep them that, this is what we're going to be doing now. And down the road, we maybe need to start thinking about these things in terms of your pet's health and really begin this lifelong relationship of education and good care for the pet patient, but then also, you know, really involving the pet owner too in that. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, I didn't make this phrase up. It's a common cliche, but, you know, Pets don't come in there with their credit cards, right? The people (laughs) with the credit cards. So that's exactly right. And I do think one of the components or one of the benefits of a wellness plan is that it does help bond people to a practice, at least for the time that they have the plan. And hopefully if the plan has been implemented well and they see the value in it, they renew those plans, right? And so one of the benefits of the plans is is definitely that bonding, but also you get to that bonding because you're often seeing pets more frequently if they're on a wellness plan than if they're not. And every time you see people, even if it's just to come in for a nail trim, you, you have another opportunity to talk to them, to ask questions about Fluffy, 
to impress them with, you know, with how concerned your practice is about the the pet's well-being and how it operates and how it how it can help them. And they just have another opportunity to talk to the people to the to the people in the practice. And it's that building of relationships that that builds that bond. Just to switch gears here, just last month in an article titled Wellness Plans Offer Substantial Benefits, you touched on wellness plan goals, education, and logistics. And you you mentioned some of the logistical issues here a second ago. In your experience, before launching a wellness plan program, what should a practice manager or doctor be thinking about in terms of logistics, how to get this thing off the ground, goals to measure to see if they're being successful? Can you unpack some of these for us? Yes, certainly. I think the first thing that people need to think about, that practices need to think about is why are you doing this? You know, if you're just doing it because you read an article I wrote or an article somebody else wrote, that's not going to be a good reason to do it. Like I said earlier, the practices that are most successful uh, with these programs are the ones that genuinely believe this makes it possible for pet owners to provide the care that they want to provide if they can somehow make it happen financially and logistically. And that we, those of us who work in and with practices, want to see pet owners provide as well. So I think, you know, I think looking at it and saying, okay, what do I really wish all the pets in my practice would have done? And, you know, whether that's twice a year visits or whether it's a dental every other year or whether it's um, certain kinds of blood work with whatever frequency you recommend, maybe you, you want all pets between two and seven to have annual annual blood work. But what are you passionate about having pets get done every year from a a preventive care basis. And then those are the kinds of things that are going to make make a practice just be totally motivated to to try and put together a program that'll make that happen. And so then you can design programs that include the kinds of services that your practice is passionate about. Doesn't have to be what the practice down the street is passionate about, but what your practice cares about. And I think that's the really the first thing that you have to that you have to think about. Because everything else is really going to flow from that. I mean the design of the plans, how many plans you're going to have, you know, what age groups are they going to cover, what specific services are going to be included, how you're going to price them. That's all going to flow from from that first, what is it we're really trying to accomplish here? Leaving aside the money part, but what is it we want what kinds of care do we want to see pets get more of? And then I do think the the other piece that's critical is the logistics of payment and the computer tracking, because the I think that can be really hard to set up independently in your own system by yourself. I mean, that's obviously where a company like VCP comes into play there, because the more flexibility you have in designing plans even flexing for individual clients. So this client wants a dental on their plan, this one doesn't, something like that. But then also being able to truly pull information out of your computer system and see, okay, how well are these plans doing? So, um, and, and where you can make comparisons between clients that are on a plan or pets that are on a plan and pets that are not. And so I look at them and say, okay, 
how much are clients that have their pets on a plan spending per year versus clients that aren't? And how much are they spending on plan services and which plan services are they actually taking advantage of? And how much are they spending on out-of-plan services compared to, to clients that don't have a plan? And all of that information, one, the help from outside resources, outside companies who can do some of this work. Number one, it just makes life a thousand times easier for the people in the practice. Number two, I think the work often gets done better. And number three, you simply have more flexibility and better data to manage the the programs. So if I think about the things that are hard, one, it's just, it's where do I start? What am I passionate about? I mean, really, that's not hard once people sit down and start thinking about it. They just kind of don't get started or they, they start somewhere else. They'll start with the logistics without really thinking about what do I want to achieve here. But then this whole logistical computer data management area is critical. And then the third part is education of team members and clients as well. We do see issues where a clinic thought For example, their practice management software could handle wellness plans, but that proved not to be true because of, you know, what you talked about, an inability to add the optional services they wanted, an inability to scale or handle common administrative issues like mispayments, for example. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there can definitely be barriers to success with wellness plans You know, and I'm just spitballing here. Maybe that's one of the reasons why there isn't as much uptake of the plans as you might think. I think so. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of, it's an interesting thought because, you know, when we talk about can a a practice management system, system handle wellness plans, at the crudest level, they probably all can, right? It just, at least they can do some components of it. But I think when you really get down to, okay, here's all of the things that I need to have done to effectively manage these plans, and here's all of the data that I need in order to understand what parts of the plans our clients like, what what our uptake is, where should we think about tweaking plans going forward to have the flexibility with, so it's not just one standard plan, but we can add some things on if we want to, to get the data we need at the end of a month or a quarter or a year to actually determine how successful they've been. When you start really looking at each of those tasks, that's when it becomes clear that that's difficult to do on your own in your own system. I mean, what you, I think what you need is you need some kind of an overlay that works with your system, but can provide some of this more specialized help in accomplishing tasks and data. Right, right. True. Switching gears, at VCP, our software enables doctors to follow their own protocols and personalize wellness plans to each pet with add-on services and procedures, you know, like nail trims, teeth cleaning, what have you, that can help prevent future health problems. Can we discuss optional services and their importance in the context of pet health and also practice revenue? I think when people think about wellness plans, they think about it's a specified number of services and everybody's getting the same services. And I actually think if we're kind of, if we're talking about like a baseline group of services, I think that makes sense. So we're going to have three adult age 
you know, wellness plans. We're going to have a, a basic, a more advanced and a, you know, super platinum level or whatever. And there'll be this, you know, certain services that are included in each of those. And, and like I said, I think that makes sense. But then I think the concept of add-ons also makes a ton of sense. And whether a practice does specified add-ons, so plus or minus dentals, plus or minus 12 months worth of preventives. So kind of standard add-ons that any doctor in the practice can can choose to use with a particular client. That's probably the simplest way to start with the add-ons. But then you can also, you can certainly add additional flexibility there. So it might not just be dentals, but it could be spay and neuter. It could be other kinds of surgeries, things like that. And I think a lot of what's going to dictate that is, are you trying to do this on your own or or what kind of company are you working with and how much flexibility do they, do they allow? And there's certainly a broad range of flexibility depending on who you're you're working with. And, and so I think it's two things. It's, it's just what's realistic in your computer system and with the program manager, if you will, that you're working with. And then how do you want to do it within your practice? And I think starting simple with add-ons makes sense because, you know, realistically, in the early months of wellness plans, the whole thing is new, right? And so I'd maybe start with a couple of potential add-ons, things like, and, you know, dentistry comes to mind and certainly 12 months worth of preventives or six months, depending on what you recommend in, in your area. I think that's a good starting point, but then you can certainly expand it. And, you know, the more flexibility, the better, essentially. Now, of course, what people could end up saying is, so if I can take any random surgery and add it to my wellness plan, then isn't that essentially like accounts receivable, which in a way it is, right? But it's it's an established plan where the people have to make established payments per month, build to their credit card. It's easier than having to bill people every month for what they owe you and hope they'll send you a check. Definitely. More broadly, can you share what you see in terms of wellness plans and practice revenue? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, the idea is that by offering wellness plans, practice revenue will increase and it, it, it can go up for a couple of different reasons. And I genuinely believe that this happens. You know, if you if you figure that your average client spends $300 a year at the practice on preventive care services, 300, 350, whatever the number is in your practice, and you put together a bundle of services that you think are important for that client to get done every year, and that's $600 a year. But because it's $600 a year, the client can pay that out at $50 a month, which is much easier than having to come in and pay $350 at one visit and then however they you know, do the rest. And realistically, they don't. They come in, they have the annual visit at $350, and they don't do additional services. So almost by definition, people spend more money simply because the plan includes more services than they would normally they would normally get. The other big area where you see an increase in revenue is the out of plan spending. And it, you know, it seems a little strange to think and go, well, you know, people are all concerned about money and they love this subscription aspect of wellness plans. And now we're saying they're going to spend more money, but it's not uncommon because when people are now paying $50 a month for veterinary services, it's easier all of a sudden, you know, 
Fluffy has an ear infection and we're asking a couple of hundred dollars to treat that ear infection, you know, to diagnose it under the microscope and flush out the ears and send home medications and have a recheck and whatever. But they can do that because they didn't just write you a check three weeks ago for the $350 for the annual visit. I don't think you can overemphasize enough how helpful spreading out the basic care is over time. And that's that comes back to the add-ons as well. I mean, I keep coming back to, to dentistries because that tends to be, quote unquote, in a pet owner's mind, an expensive service. And if they can spread that out over time as well, then it just makes everything a whole lot easier. And when it's easier to pay, you spend more. I mean, this is true of anything, right? You know, if you go to, um, you know, why do you have a Macy's credit card or an Amazon credit card? It's because you can pay out your purchases over time. Whereas if you had to transfer that money straight out of your checking account right away, you probably would not. So, you know, the amount that revenue is going to go up, well, it's going to vary by practice, right? The size of the practice now, how hard they're working in enrolling clients, what kind of um, plans they put into place, how many plans, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they're just, they're almost designed for revenue to increase. You know, I'm just thinking of this article. I can't remember where I read it, but it was saying that the average American couldn't come up with $400 for some sort of unforeseen occurrence, you know, whether a car breaks down or whatever. They didn't have $400 for an unexpected expense. It kind of reinforces what you're saying, where if you can have these smaller little monthly payments, you're not asking the pet owner to come up with uh, an amount that they probably can't come up with. That's exactly right. And that can just, I mean, it can very often be the difference between pet owners accepting care or not accepting care. Now, what I think what people say is, okay, well, wait a minute. So what happens if they don't make their payments? So they're supposed to be making these monthly payments on their credit cards, right? And I'm not saying there's not a practice out there where every client is a deadbeat and a wellness plan would be a bad idea because I'm sure that that kind of practice exists, right? But in general, this just is not a huge problem. Most of the time when people stop making payments, it's not that it was that they meant to default on their payment, but you know, they lost their credit card and it was canceled or it expired and they haven't called in and or updated the, um, the expiration date. Can I swear that a practice will never have any losses on these? No, of course I couldn't say that. If you're going to have any kind of a payment program, and I don't care whether it's your own accounts receivable or a preventive care plan, you are you're going to have cost related to it. And whether that's the credit card fees that are associated with having a veterinary specific credit card, or it's the fact that you'll have a little bit of losses, but they tend to be small and they're more than offset by the additional revenue and profits that the practice gets by offering these payment alternatives. Right. We are, we see the same thing with all the plans we have under management. The The deadbeat factor is teeny, teeny, tiny. It's tiny. Yeah. 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 And then practices is always can add like a teeny, tiny markup. I mean, say it's a 2% loss. They can always kind of tack that on some way to their plans to... Sure just you know protect themselves absolutely and i think but i think like i said it, it's any payment alternative that you offer is going to have cost i mean there may be different kinds of costs you know 
but there's going to be a cost. You wouldn't do a payment alternative, though, if you didn't think that it would increase revenue, increase care, increase profits, even allowing for those additional costs. Before we wrap up, I would love to get your perspective on treatment plans for managing chronic health conditions. We're huge believers in treatment plans, and we're really pleased to see an article recently in today's veterinary business that covered the concept. I'm curious, what do you think of this new direction? That, that makes total sense to me because it's exactly the same issue, right? You know, if you've got a, a newly diagnosed diabetic kitty, so obviously you're going to have to buy insulin up front, you're going to have to get syringes. There's going to be a number of rechecks over time, blood work that's done. And if you can, if, if you've got this recommended treatment plan with we need the kitty to come in, you know, X number of times in the next six months, and here's what we think the costs are going to be, and here's, here's the recommended blood work, and then you can split those costs up over time. I mean, it's exactly the same concept. It makes it a thousand times easier for people to to be able to take care of those chronic conditions. You know, chronic conditions are scary to people for a, a number of reasons, you know, particularly something like a diabetic kitty and all of a sudden they're having to poke needles in their cat and nobody thinks that's a fun thing to do. But chronic diseases in pets are a lot of work. And so if you can make the money part easy, then yeah, life's a thousand times better. And a lot of this comes back to having flexibility in how your plans work and how they are set up in your computer system or the associated software that you're using to help manage them. But the more flexibility you have, the better. But yeah, I think that's a great usage of this. Yeah, we were, su we were super excited to see that article. Looking forward, what do you see happening in the veterinary industry, say, over the next few years? Any thoughts or predictions? <laughs> Your ball is cloudy these days. Um, so, you know, it, that's, it's a great question. And it's actually one I spend a lot of time thinking about. You know, I will say one thing about wellness plans and how busy practices are now. And of course, they're not all busy, but a lot of them are. And that's certainly what we're busy talking about in veterinary medicine. I do think when you can't take care of the clients you have and everybody is stressed to the max, Thinking about implementing wellness plans is probably not first on everybody's priority list right now, but things are going to normalize. I don't think we totally know what the new normal is going to look like. I mean, this, I guess, is the new normal for a while, but I don't think this is the final new normal. I'm still a firm believer in wellness plans because a lot of the things that are driving so many people into veterinary practices right now are not going to be permanent changes. You know, certainly if you're in a community where a number of practices have closed, that may drive more people to your practice. That might be more of a permanent change, but nature abhors a vacuum, right? And there will likely be other practices start up in that area. And so you're going to go back to, you know, the same number of practices that were in the area. Some of the things that have driven how busy practices are now are things that are definitely, as we open up more, more people get vaccinated against the coronavirus are definitely going to are going to change. They're going to go back to the way they were. I mean, I think a lot of people have had more money to spend on veterinary care in the last year because they're not spending it on the usual things. They're not traveling. They're not going out to restaurants, entertainment, whatever. And so it was easy to spend it on veterinary care. 
I think also um, people were at home and they're noticing for the first time in three years that Fluffy needs their teeth cleaned or Fluffy has a mask that nobody's ever looked at. But those things get fixed, right? So the mask gets looked at and whatever needed to be done was done. And, and so th that's not necessarily an ongoing pipeline. You know, we know that some number of people have acquired new pets as a part of the pandemic, but there's definitely studies out there and reports that, that are indicating not all of those people are going to keep those pets. So my point being here is that it's not going to stay this busy forever. And we're going to be back to a point where are going to be actively trying to grow their practices. And that's where I think wellness plans make such a huge, um, a huge difference there. So, you know, right now, I do think the idea of a program that's hard, harder to implement probably scares people to death. They're like, I really don't need one more thing on my plate, but um, it's not going to be that far away until, until we are going to be looking on how to actively grow our practices. And for the practices that haven't had this big pandemic uptick, wellness plans are something to think about now. So that kind of ties into the bigger picture. What do we think is going to happen with the veterinary industry? I mean, we've been incredibly fortunate during the pandemic in that we were essential services. And so practices have largely stayed open, not to say that some didn't close for a short period of time or that some had to close because they had people become ill and they, they just couldn't staff it or they needed to clean or they needed to do whatever. But overall, we've stayed open. Many practices have had astronomical growth. But what's interesting about that growth is that when you look at it, if you look at it for the entire year 2020, I mean, you know, let's say growth in 2019 was, depending on your study, somewhere between 4 and 6%. Some studies are higher. But I, I'd say, you know, typical growth was maybe in that, I don't know, 4 to 8% range. And then you look at some months in 2020, in practices, and you know they've grown fifty percent, they've grown thirty percent, they've grown whatever. But if you if you look at the whole year, many practices have really only increased three or four percent more than they did in twenty nineteen. It's just it was badly spread out, right? January and February of twenty twenty were relatively normal. March, you know, we dove off of a cliff. April and May were, were revenue was quite a bit down, and then. And then revenue sort of skyrocketed in many clinics. But if you take that spread out over the year, you didn't see 17% increases over the year in most practices. I'm not saying there aren't some that did because there are. But even right there, that shows us that, that things are going to come back to normal. What I think is going to happen and understanding my cloudy crystal ball here, I do not think we will lose the revenue gains we've gotten. But I, certainly these growth rates won't continue. I mean, you're not going to continue to have 17% growth rate. I, I feel pretty decent that we won't lose the revenue we have unless, I mean, it could happen, right? If a ton of people give up their pets, if um, a ton of practices reopen in a community or new startups come in to, to take over the ones that that closed, or you lose a bunch of doctors. I mean, things that might be related to the pandemic, but might not be as well. So I think we've got a bump in revenue that we're, we're going to likely hold on to, but certainly the rate of growth is, is going to change. We've been incredibly fortunate in veterinary medicine. I mean, it's, and I, I don't mean to minimize the difficulty in practices right now because it's nuts, right? And 
many clients are more difficult to deal with. Practices are running short staff. Curbside is harder to do efficiently. I'm not, I'm not minim, I don't mean to minimize those things, but in just the fact that we have jobs and are making money, we've been fortunate and pets are getting care. So finally, before we let you go, where can our listeners find you? Do you have a website or a page you want to direct folks to? I do. So my website is www.pantherat.com. And I'll give you a hint on how to remember Panthera tea. So it's short for the genus and species of tigers, which is Panthera tigris. And I just picked that because I wanted a fun and different name for my uh, my veterinary practice. But when I called up GoDaddy and said, I'm looking for the domain Panthera tea, the guy goes, Pan the rat? Is that really what you want? And that is P-A-N-T-H-E. R-A-T. So that was an unintended consequence, but it makes it easy to remember. So, and the rat. And we'll put a link to the site in our show notes too. Thank you. Well, this has been a fascinating, informative discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Felstead. Totally enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. Dr. Felstead shared great insights today. We covered a lot of bases. But here are three key points from our conversation. Number one, practices that implement wellness plans should view the plans as an essential component of how they practice, not some kind of marketing campaign or gimmick. Dr. Felsett says that practices that are most successful with wellness plan programs first ask themselves a couple of questions. For example, what am I passionate about? Also, what do I want to achieve? Then they make sure the plans prioritize the healthcare services they're passionate about and design the plans around those preventive care services. As we say, wellness plans are a business and healthcare strategy. Number two. So Dr. Felstead is a huge fan of wellness plans, but she also acknowledged they are not easy to implement if you do it yourself. She has moved away actually from recommending that practices implement wellness plans without help. She used to recommend that, but now she doesn't anymore. Today, she has come to believe that practices need outside help to successfully implement and run a wellness plan program. And number three, Dr. Felstead stressed the importance of automation, analytics, and education of team members. Ideally, at a minimum, practices should have the flexibility to design personalized plans, automate and manage payments, and then go back and evaluate how the program is doing toward meeting the goals that they set. And that wraps up this episode of VCP Talk. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, like, or review us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow VCP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and learn more about our proprietary business of wellness on our website, vcp.vet. Or feel free to call us with questions. Our number is 888-9-MY-VCP1. That's 888-969-969. 8271.